You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Keller, Melbourne, Australia. And today I have another magic Melburnian. This is my third. In fact, we've got so many now in the list coming up that I'm actually seriously thinking of doing an on-location segment in part two, season two. There's so many magic Melburnians and awesome Aussies that I'm going to go around with one of my, my, one of my handheld devices and capture the wisdom of them all in their daily lives. But stay tuned for that. That's coming up in Season 2. But for the most part, we're, we're still into to Season 1, and we've, we've really relatively only just started this. And I, wanna, I wanted to thank you all for how, how well it's been received. It's really going well, and we're having such great fun interviewing people from around the world. But today I'm interviewing Annalise Jennings, a magic Melburnian with an Aboriginal name. She works with the Indigenous community here in Australia, and she has a formula, a system that's workable, that's teachable, that's repeatable, and that's, ex- that's exciting because she's, she's worked it out. She's cracked the code, so to speak. So welcome to the call, Annalise. Thank you, Keith. It's wonderful to be part of this. Look, I, I really want to start with the idea of how you got into this and how you indeed got an Aboriginal name. It's quite an honour, Oh, absolutely. Isn't it? it has to be the highlight for me in uh, my professional and personal life, really. So let's dig deep. How, how did that happen? What, what, what was the, the circumstances that led to you working with the Indigenous community and, and them thinking so much of you that they actually you know, uh, honoured you with an Aboriginal name? Well, back in 2009, I took a short holiday in Cape York and I was at that stage I was a senior manager with, with ANZ and I took a break. I was asked to be godmother to a little girl in the Cape, and I accepted the honour. And I was only due to be there for about four days, but while I was there I met um, a, a local who introduced me to some Indigenous elders, and they got really interested in my conversation around self-determination and community ownership, and these have been topics that I've always been very, very passionate about. And uh, mm-hmm. they invited me to have further conversation in their community. And so the four days became two weeks and two weeks turned into three months long service leave. And then that turned into 12 months. <laughs> and and did, you, what, did, you, did you just ring up the office and say, <laughs> look, guess, guess what, something exciting is happening. Can I have another week? Well, it was a little bit like that at the beginning and I just kept taking whatever leave that I could and, uh, and at a certain point my executive rang me and he said, Annalise, are you ever coming back? And I said, I said, no, I found something really significant here that is just so important and I feel so honoured to be a part of. I I, mm. I believe I've made the shift now from corporate Australia to First Nations people. 
And that's what your TED Talk was yes, about, Yes, absolutely. It? And the TED Talk was also about, it wasn't only about that shift, it was that shift at a personal level, but it was also the shift from paternalism, prohibition, penalty, intervention and control to true community ownership and, and self-determination. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of shifts mentioned in the TED Talk. It's a fantastic TED Talk, and I've shared it many, many times now. In fact, today and over the last week, I've shared your three major videos, you know, almost in high rotation, if you want to use a radio term. I mean, I'm so, I'm so inspired by what you're doing that I'm sharing them about three times <laughs> a day. And I'll, I'll share them again uh, at the end of this and, and also in the, in the coming weeks. But what you're, what you're offering here is absolutely amazing. And it's not only related to the Australian experience. I'm sure there are Indigenous communities in virtually every country in the world that could resonate with this model. Have you found that to be yeah, the case? Yeah, absolutely. I delivered a keynote or a presentation in Sweden last year, and I've had a quite a number of people connecting with me since then. Um, people from, from Cherokee, uh, Indians and, um, from Dakota and from different parts of the US, uh, are connecting with me. And, you know, it's quite an honor to, to receive their connections and for them to be very curious mm. about what I've been doing and, and how I've gone about it. And now you haven't yet got a book, but there's yes, one coming. Yes, there is. Isn't there? I've started my book, and it's looking fantastic. And so that's very much uh, a goal for this year is to finish my book. Can we dig a little deeper into some of the formula, or do you want to save that for the book, or do you save that for your keynotes? Can you talk a little bit about the formula of self determination? Is it a bit of a you know a five step process, or is it a little bit more complex? Oh, it is. It is a lot more complex than that, but. You know, basically it really is about creating purpose-built programs for each discrete community. And it, it, it involves oh, wow. developing a blueprint for economic development and community growth. And when I talk about community growth, I'm talking about the spiritual well-being of the people. So it's not just about creating a viable economy or creating a strategy. But it's also about in tandem creating that will, that desire, that that spiritual mm-hmm. awakening that says, yes, I can do this and I can take this and I can move it forward. So there's and there's value in it for me. There's value in it for me and well, my family. There's value in it for me, for my family, for my community, for society, and for the legacy that I want to leave behind as an Indigenous person. And so it's, it really is far reaching. So my philosophy, and I, and I really love the, the, um, the rhetoric that, you know, I love, it's about doing things with people, not to them. So this is where I've got. Let me pick up on, let me pick up on what you just said there. It's about doing things with people and not doing things to Yes, that's right. So that's the shift from paternalism and control to to, to true community ownership. And so as a, as a coach and um, as somebody who's very, very passionate about shifting humanity in a positive way, I learned that my role is very much one of learning and understanding and listening with absolute intent and presence. 
and to trust that the answers lie in the wisdom of the people. So for me, it's about not walking in without, with any predetermined agenda. It's about um, not having any preconceived answers, but walking in with a very open heart to listen, to understand, and then to support the community and pulling together the blueprint that they ultimately own. So government and service providers then take on a role of enabling and supporting, but the community ultimately own their own plan, their own destiny, their own implementation. And the results have been so far-reaching, even in terms of them putting in, uh, pulling together their own joint ventures, um, their own um, economic industry that is owned by the people. So they've got a, a vested interest in the financial viability of what they're doing. And so it creates jobs internally. So... You know, we've seen a shift of like a 60% jump in employment inside the community. Mm -hmm. And that's massive mm -hmm. in a community where unemployment sits around 75%. And it's, it's owned by the people, for the people. So I've used my experience yeah. as a strategist in corporate to really help pull together a plan that is deeply meaningful to the people at grassroots. Wow. It's all about engagement. It's all about honouring the, the, the individual's right to choose, the, the individual's uh, unique perspective on the world. And the Indigenous communities have a unique perspective on the world. When they don't all want to live in a house and work nine to five for corporate in the city. I mean, most Aussies don't want to do that. No, <laughs> no that's exactly right. But you said something, you, no, you mean, just said something really important. You mentioned the word engagement. And, and I believe that's really at the heart of this because where I hear words like negotiation or consultation, I'm always really, really wary because where we negotiate or consult, we're stepping in with a predetermined agenda, so we're seeking to gain buy-in. But when we come in with a spirit of engagement, it's very much no agenda and sitting and listening around that table and understanding collectively what is it that we're here to co-create together. And that's a very, very different mindset to um, consultation negotiation. So engagement is key here. Look, I'm, I'm so inspired by what you're saying there. I mean, it's such a big topic. It's, it's, look, it's probably a brain spin for a lot of people that have never thought this way. A lot of people with the word strategy I've got a plan, I know the answer, and it's a five-step process. And if you just went one, two, three, four, five, you would have a better life. Trust me. That's really what's happened so far. Yes, very much so. I wouldn't say that this is more complex. I would actually say that this is far more simpler than a step-by-step -step process, and it starts with listening and engaging. And the objective here is to reduce that welfare dependency and government intervention and in a way where, you know, we bring about social transformation and we raise the community's responsibility for self-determination. And I use the word we a lot because I really do feel a part of this community yeah. and I, I very strongly respect uh, the, the people, the leaders, the councillors who have invited me yeah. around the table and to work with them over the past few years. Have you found that these principles that you're using here in Australia 
are generic principles and themes that you're finding happen in other communities around the world, say the Cherokee or the Iroquois or the Inca? Well, they've certainly been called for and and people have been working with the theories for quite some time, but what I'm hearing from people who I'm engaging with or who are engaging with me is that what they're seeing in my work is that I'm not just about the theory, I've actually gone out there and worked with the people and we've seen a change happen. And it's not just, you know, Pollyanna stuff or looking at it through rose-tinted glasses. You can actually go there to the community. You can speak to the people at grassroots. You can feel a buzz in the community. You can sense that the energy has shifted. But it's evidenced by the amount of infrastructure and development that has come about in the last three years that just wasn't there before. Very, very inspiring. You know, you're listening to the Global Spotlight podcast. This is part one. And increasingly now I'm doing two-parters because my guests have so much great stuff to share. So stay with me. I'm going to take a short break and come back in part two and delve a little bit deeper into Annalise Jennings and the amazing work she's doing with Indigenous communities. <laughs> 